Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to As a Woman, episode 121, supporting your mental health with Dr. Nichelle Haynes. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition, while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. I have missed you. I'm so excited to have a good friend of mine, Dr. Nichelle Haynes, on the podcast today. She is super phenomenal. You are going to love her. She's a perinatal psychiatrist, and she is also CEO of the Reproductive Psychiatry Clinic of Austin. She has a special interest in pregnancy and early parenting. She is a wife, a mom of two young boys, and she has also recently co-founded Aluma, which is a self-discovery workbook for moms. Little plug is that she will be speaking at Pinnacle this year. May 20 through 22nd of 2022, we are in Dallas. And if you don't know about Pinnacle, it is a women in medicine leadership conference where we are focusing on self-growth, personal and professional development, wellness, business skills, networking, community, all of the things that you could ask for. It is life-changing, trust me. We have a few rooms left, so if you want to register, go to pinnacleconference.org. And without further ado, let's dive in. Nichelle, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us on the As a Woman podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I listen myself. I honestly, I'm in awe. What am I doing here? No, stop ah! it. I, I love you so much. I've been trying, I've been trying to have you on this show for so long. And you and I both live this like crazy doctor, mom, entrepreneur life. And sometimes it's just hard to find an hour to set aside to get something like this done. I mean, that's just the reality of life right now. I think we've both canceled on each other, maybe twice. (laughs) I know, we're so bad. (laughs) Anyways, we're finally getting it done. And I'm just so excited to dive into talking about, you know, mental health, depression, anxiety, and some of these things that people are truly asking me about. And I'm not the expert and you really are. So we're so thrilled to have your expertise here and share some of this knowledge with all of us today. Thank you. I'm so excited. Okay, let's start because I know you well, but not everybody does. So I'd love to just dive into a little bit about you and your story before we get to the meaty educational component. So if you could start by telling us, how did you end up as a doctor? Did you always want to go into medicine? Did you discover this along the way? What does that journey look like for you? So I have known I wanted to be a doctor since I was like five. Since I was aware of careers this has kind of always been it. Like I just always knew, and I had a a wonder, wonderful family medicine physician growing up and, you know, he took care of everyone. He did most of the OB in town. It was just like, he was the one you went to. And just that connection, it, it really seemed like something that I wanted. And I pursued that for forever. I mean, in high school, I took an AP psychology course and I was hooked. I was so fascinated. It was like, I couldn't get enough. I was like eating it all up. Um, and so I went to undergrad and did my psychology degree and, you know, my minored in biology and chemistry so that you know, I had that background to go into medical school. And I had a period of time, I call it my crisis period. It's not really a crisis, (laughs) but I just really, I didn't know whether I wanted to go to grad school and kind of do the therapy route, or I wanted to go to med school and do, you know, the psychiatry route. Um, and I ultimately decided that in going to medical school, I would be able to offer my patients more options. So I could do the therapy thing. I could do the medication management thing and to know, kind of how those interact with each other was really exciting for me. And so I went to med school with the sole purpose of being a psychiatrist. So, you know, like eye anatomy and like foot anatomy. You were like, no, I don't want any of this. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I didn't. I didn't care. I mean, I really just, to be frank, I did not care about that stuff. But, you know, you kind of get through it. You understand how it works. You, you know, pass your musculoskeletal exam and move forward and, um, you know, just did that and, and went to psychiatry residency and just really loved it. After residency, I went first to an inpatient job. Um, it sort of made the most sense for my family at the time. I had a 15-month-old and an eight-week-old um, when I graduated residency, and we moved across the state, and I started a job right away, and I was studying for boards and, you know, two babies and new job, new attending. All of it was just so stressful. Um, and ended up in a role that really wasn't right for me, but got me here in town, which was, you know, my, my main goal yeah. was to be back here in Austin. And I relate to that sentiment very, very well. I right. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, at the time I kind of saw it as a medium term employment that I wouldn't be there forever, but I wouldn't be there as short as I was. And, um, I really got very burned out doing that. And, you know, Q3. So every third night I was taking call, um, and they would call me all night long. And, you know, I wasn't in the hospital like other physicians are, but I wasn't sleeping. I had mm-hmm. infants. I was breastfeeding. It's <laughs> crazy. Mean, it was just a lot. I don't think a lot of people, when they think about psychiatry, understand what an inpatient psychiatrist really does. I think sometimes it's easier mm-hmm. for us to conceptualize the office-based psychiatrist who's, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing patients in office, but this life you are leading, I mean, that was a really crazy workload for any Mm -hmm. field. I mean, being on call Q3, when you see patients, I mean, that's an intense job. I mean, Mm -hmm. was that, I don't know, how long were you in that spot for? So I did inpatient for uh, a little over a year and a half, not quite two years. I mean, yeah. and isn't that crazy? And I mean, I was I was the same way, you know, at my first job. I left it after about two years. And I would got so burnt out so quickly that it was almost mm-hmm. shocking that you feel like you can get to the end of your medical training and here you are in this position and in almost like a downhill speed fashion, it mm-hmm. just compiles itself, especially I think when you do have young kids and you're balancing a lot and you're studying for boards that having, you know, a work environment, let's just say that's not the best one for you or your goals or what you want. Mm -hmm. It can be really detrimental. I mean, I had moments of thinking like, gosh, maybe medicine's not for me, or maybe Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be a fertility doctor, even though I'm like you, I wanted to be a doctor since I was four. This was all I ever wanted to do. And I went through all this training in order to do this job. The place I got to when I was in the spot that was just the opposite of what I needed made me Mm -hmm. contemplate leaving, which now on this side of things, I'm like, oh my God, that was crazy. But that's truly how I felt. Did you have those feelings too? Oh, totally. I mean, it, it was such a draining experience mentally, emotionally, it was physically taxing. It, It was, it took everything out of me and I really saw how it was affecting my family and we made sweeping changes in our lives for me to be able to quit. And I quit right before the pandemic. I had my last day, like maybe a week or two before everything shut down. Crazy. It it was, it was actually very good timing. It It worked out quite nicely. Um, It was, it was so draining. And I just saw the effect that it was having on myself and my family. And it's so crazy that I got through psychiatry residency and had never gone to therapy, had never prioritized myself, had never worked on my own mental health. It's so crazy to me now to think about it. But I started going to therapy and I, I it was life-changing for me to have a place to, to talk about how hard things are and... Same. I think we have the same therapist and I like truly say, like, (laughs) I think she saved my life because like there are moments where she just was able to reframe things for me in such a way that made me say like, what am I doing? This is my one life. Mm -hmm. These are my kids. This is my family. Mm -hmm. And this job isn't serving me or them or 
And then I'm starting to resent it. Like, what are we doing here? And um, kind of some freedom of opening your mind up to maybe the non-traditional road or something that you thought would be Uh too hard to do or too difficult to do. And I know you relate to this too, as the primary breadwinner in your family. That's a lot of pressure to walk away from, you know, a job and take a um, a bet on yourself in a different arena. Mm-hmm. Like that sometimes feels like I can't do that. I mean, I don't know how many times I said, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's too, mm-hmm. too scary, too much, too risky. And, you know, having somebody on the other side of the table say, well, sure you can. Like, well, what's the worst Why thing not? that happened? What's the worst thing that happens? And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Um. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember she was said, well, okay, so what? So you work less and see your family more. Maybe you make less money. Maybe your worst scenario is like you sell your house and you live in a smaller one or, or you rent yeah. something or like, she's like, none of those things are, are terrible scenarios and you'd probably be happier in all of them than where you are yeah. now. So what yeah. is holding you back? And it's crazy how we prioritize our own health, especially our mental health as physicians at the very bottom. Right. I, I, just the number of times that I refer people to therapy and I had never been myself is like just astonishing to me. I remember um, my therapist, I was sitting there and 
you know, we were kind of talking through logistics of like, I could do this, I could do that. And I was like, well, we would have to use our savings. And she's like, what's your savings for? I was like, for emergencies. And she said, and this, this is not an emergency? What, is, what more emergency do you need? Like, what is more emergent than your health and your family's health? And I just thought, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. You're like, oh, you're good at this. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right, so, so, so walk me through. So when you left and then um, did you have, you know, your current spot already lined up? Was that a work in progress? Like talk to people who don't, maybe they don't follow you or they're not familiar with where you are and what you do now, because this is a really unique, I think, position that you're in right now. And I'm so proud of the world that you're helping create in psychiatry for women's health. So I had been working um, at my current position, not, not in the way it's currently conceptualized, but I had been starting to work in an outpatient position for maybe like a month. And I was working there maybe, uh, like eight hours a week in addition to my full-time job, in addition to working nights and weekends so I could save money so I could quit my job. Um, I, I was working there doing perinatal psychiatry. So I, you know, I would get off work from the inpatient day and then I would see patients for like two or four hours a day, depending on the day and kind of building up my caseload so that I had, you know, some patients who needed to follow up with me and I could start filling up my schedule. And then there just became a point where I just saw the other side and realized just how different things were and how good they could be. And it was a very big tipping point for me when a patient said, Hey, thanks for helping me with that. I had never heard that in the inpatient setting, like almost yeah, never. It's not it's the mostly like, job. Yeah. It's not, it's not inherent in, in the inpatient world. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you're mostly disliked. Um, but for my outpatient job, it, people were telling me, thank you. And saying please and working on things and very invested in their, um, their whole self, their whole well-being, including their mental health. It was just, I saw the other side and I thought, wow, like that's why I went to medical school. I didn't go to medical school to, you know, do what I was doing inpatient. Not that it's not an important job, but it's just, it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I quit and I went full time at my role. Um, I joined the practice and it's kind of been, <laughs> I haven't looked back. And you've been busy. You've been so, so busy. busy. So busy. I think the pandemic really helped people think through their priorities. It's just a chance to slow down to say, you know, this job working in that environment or, you know, this hustle culture or whatever it happens to be is not working for me. And I think a lot of people just really took that opportunity to reevaluate things and prioritize their mental health. And it also took away a lot of um, kind of the, the support that a lot of people had, like whether you went out for, you know, a girl's night on Wednesdays, or you had a babysitter that came on a certain day, or whatever you had kind of yeah. set up to help you through a difficult time, it took away all those options for you. And so a lot of people really struggled with that aspect of not having any support. So we've been really busy from those. I think probably those two pieces brought a lot of people into our practice. We're similarly busy so because busy. Um, I think when people stopped traveling and started staying home and they thought maybe this would be a good time to make a baby. And then when it didn't happen, it became really mm -hmm. obvious that it wasn't happening. You know, they couldn't blame all these external factors in their life anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it also reemphasized some of the importance on like the home life and that everything's not just about your job and how those type of things mm -hmm. can change. And some people who maybe had weren't sure if they wanted kids or not suddenly thought that, you know, having a house that potentially had a child in it could be a more fun or exciting or an adventure they wanted to undertake. So we saw all, and then we also saw people break up. So we saw tons of people break up because they were suddenly in the same place together. And then we had <laughs> yes. women coming in and saying like, oh, I need to freeze my eggs because like, obviously like our relationships worked when we weren't like home stuck in the same place and this doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but you spend most of your day, you know, dealing with 
some of the mental health issues that surround, you know, reproductive health issues, right? Like infertility and pregnancy loss and during pregnancy and postpartum. And I think that that is a need that really is so, well, women's health is so poorly talked about in general, but especially, you know, mental health and, you know, prioritizing your own health and supporting it and dropping the stigma around it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I see a lot of patients who are really concerned about, you know, getting pregnant or, you know, are they on this medication and do they have to stop it? Or do they, the question I get asked all the time is, do they have to be cured? I hate this word, but it's what people say, like, do I need to cure my depression before I can get pregnant? And what I think what they're always trying to get at is, do they have to be off their meds before they start trying to get pregnant? And I know because you've told me what your thoughts are, but I'd love for you to kind of tell people how you have framed this for them to kind of think through, you know, the starting, the journey of starting your family when you have, you know, um, a mental health diagnosis or you're being treated for something. Mm-hmm. First of all, you never have to do anything, right? This is always your choice. You have autonomy over your medical choices. If you disagree with your physician, then, you know, they have the right to say, you know, I'm not the right physician for you, or you have the right to say, you're not the right physician for me. So first off, you never have to do anything. Um, But when we think about what does a child need? A child needs a secure attachment with a care provider. It does not have to be mom. It does not have to be dad. It has to be a secure attachment with a care provider. It's mostly parents, mom, dad. Um, And how do you get to that? If you are not doing well, you are not in a place to provide a secure attachment. Um, we always think about risk benefit. It's never a yes or no. It's never, this is safe or not safe. We don't say those words. I never say those. Um, it's always about an individual person's risk for relapse into depression or anxiety or postpartum psychosis or whatever it might be um, versus the risk of medication. So we, in knowing your patient, you'll know the risks for you. How bad do things get? What do things look like when you're off of your medications? Um, In what ways can you support yourself without medication? What does that look like? Um, Do you become suicidal? Do things get to a point where you turn to substances? We we know that about each individual person. The thing, and you kind of touched on this before, is that women's health is is not studied very well. Um, We don't have a whole lot of great data. It's difficult to study things during pregnancy. It's difficult to study things during postpartum period, especially if people choose to breastfeed. It's difficult to study things during trying like infertility or trying to conceive. So we don't have a lot of really great data is the point I'm getting, trying to get to. We don't have a lot of great data. So we kind of have to weigh what we do know about the medications and know that there's a lot we probably don't know. Um, We weigh that against what we do know about the risk of untreated illness and how bad it can get for a specific person. So we can study depression really well as long as it doesn't include medication. So we have a lot of really, really strong data about the risk of depression and anxiety during pregnancy and during the postpartum period. And those are actually very risky times that the risk of hospitalization is much higher, the risk of, you know, having a baby that's smaller than average, having a baby born earlier than you would expect otherwise. Um, There's a whole bunch of risks inherent in depression itself. And often when you treat, you can lower that risk. So there are definitely times where being on medication is a lower risk than being off of medication. So, I mean, sometimes that's the choice that we make because it's safer. And I mean, I love how you say that. Like, yeah, you have choices and it's all about understanding them and understanding you. And I think the point you're trying to come across that I think is really lovely is that 
it's not just risk of medication versus no medication. It's risk of medication versus an untreated illness, which right. carries risks. And I think there, mm-hmm. there was a good study done by the Reproductive Medicine Network looking at sperm. So look at men and fertility specifically. I think we're mostly talking about pregnancy and women. And it showed that, you know, chances of like semen abnormalities were worse and chances of pregnancy were worse in men with untreated depression Mm -hmm. than depression controlled on medications. And so you're kind of saying, Hey, are there, there's, it's not drug versus no drug. It's what is your Mm -hmm. level of disease when, you know, you're not on this and is it, can it be controlled by other factors? And maybe yes, but maybe no. And there's no shame to saying, this is what I need, right? Like there's no Mm -hmm. shame in saying, um, for me to, be my best self, to me be in the best kind of mindset, to lower my risks the most, I need to be on this medication for my depression or this medication for my anxiety. But I feel like people feel like there is shame in that or that there is stigma in that. And I mean, I mean, that's how patients kind of act. They almost sheepishly will talk about this to me. And I'm like, do you know how many people are on meds for depression and anxiety? Like, you don't know. Like, this is, especially now in COVID, like, this is very, very common. But I think that's just that extra layer of stigma when it comes to mental mm-hmm. health and people mm-hmm. don't tend to share with their, you know, friends or peers that they're on antidepressants or that they're, you know, seeing a therapist. And so sometimes that leaves it all to make somebody feel very alone and isolated when they're going through this and they don't know who to turn to. Right. Exactly. Um I have a couple of points to that, that if someone has diabetes that they're usually on some kind of medication or on some kind of special diet to help with their blood sugars, that yes, there are definitely some things that you can do behaviorally to help things be better, but there are definitely times that you just need medicine and that's what's safest. It's not, oh, be completely off of your XYZ medication or don't get pregnant. It's like, hey, we want to reach you. We want to get you to your goals. And here's how we do that in the safest way possible, knowing that you have to be healthy to have a healthy pregnancy, to, you know, be the best parent that you can be as you move forward. So there's that piece, but also your brain is an organ. It's like no one bats an eye to say, you know, I had this, you know, weird rash on my elbow and I went to go see my dermatologist or whatever, right? Like, no one bats an eye at that. But if we're saying like, Hey, I'm feeling a little anxious because the world is falling apart. Everyone's like, Whoa. Oh, same thing with your ovary. Like your ovary is an organ too, but people think that PCOS is this like weird thing that they should cure with celery juice cleanses or blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Right. And it's like, no. And I was thinking like, if, you know, if pancreas doesn't work and you need insulin, you need insulin, like period, the end, nobody's going Mm -hmm. around self-blaming themselves for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, why can't we just say modern medicine has luckily given us science and medications that can help people live healthier, Mm -hmm. better, longer, happier lives. And sometimes your organs don't work as they are supposed to for no fault of your own. Right. Exactly. If you can't right at this exact moment, change your heart rate to 62 right now, go ahead. You can't make, you can't do it. If I, if I say that people are like, gosh, Michelle, like that's ridiculous. You cannot do that. Well, then what are you going to do? Like make your neurons release serotonin. You can't do it any more than you can make your heart rate go down or up or wherever it is. It's just silly to think that, you know, your brain is an organ and we've kind of forgotten that. I love that. Just kind of reframing it. It truly is. And it, need certain things and sometimes you need to help it out and that's completely okay. And there should be no Mm -hmm. stigma or shame. If we back up for a moment, so maybe there's a person listening who says, maybe I'm depressed or maybe something's going on or I don't know. I don't Mm -hmm. feel right. I don't feel like myself. What Mm -hmm. are the, you know, kind of, how do you tell people like, what are the signs and symptoms of, you know, being depressed or when do you need to go get help for your mental health? Like what are some of the kind of points that somebody who, you know, didn't go to medical school and learn some of these things might start Mm -hmm. to realize, oh, these behaviors aren't maybe necessarily normal. And maybe I should go seek a professional, you know, help or diagnosis. That's a really great question. 
One of the things that you said is one of the things that I say, if you feel like you're not yourself, that's kind of a little red flag to say something's off, whether it be you're under stress at work, or maybe you are depressed or experiencing anxiety. If you're not feeling like yourself, that's kind of time to check in what else is going on. So in depression, you can have all kinds of different constellations of symptoms. You only have to have a few of them to meet criteria. And, you know, someone may have symptoms one through four and someone may have symptoms, you know, four through eight and their depression looks very different. So it's hard to say your depression will look like this, but some of the symptoms include changes in sleep, whether it be difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, um, early morning awakening is kind of one of those like key points where you're waking up earlier than you would expect and you can't fall asleep or, um, sleeping way more than normal. So just like sleeping 16 hours a day and still feeling tired in those hours that you're awake. Um, we can also experience changes in appetite. So whether you're feeling more hungry or your food is like totally not interesting at you to you at all. Those could be some changes that you would experience. Um, across the board, we usually see something like feeling down, feeling sad, not really enjoying their life. Those would be really important things to kind of listen to changes in your motivation where you just like, feel like, I don't want to do anything like at all. Um, changes in your interest. Like you used to be totally interested in, gosh, who knows whatever you're interested in. And now it's like totally disinteresting. You just don't want anything to do with it. That would kind of be another one of those things that we would pull together. Um, if some people will feel like they're like internally restless, so that might kind of be more of like an anxious internal feeling physically. Some people feel like they're it's just like slow to move. Like you're moving through peanut butter. Like it just takes a lot of energy to like Mm. kind of get up and do things that would be called, um, psychomotor retardation. Um, just, you know, moving slower is a fancy way of saying, um, that. So, uh, changes in energy where you feel like keyed up or, or really just like really low energy would be another thing that we would look for. Um, also potentially feeling suicidal would be a very big red flag. And if you're having those kind of, um, thoughts or, you know, worried about hurting yourself, then that would definitely be an emergency. And it's one of the times that in psychiatry, we have an emergency. So if that's showing up for you or for someone, you know, um, definitely seek help from a physician that you're already established with, or however it feels like you need to at the moment, Um, But that would be another really big one that would make us really want you to get help. I think what I'm hearing and what people I think should hear is that, you know, everybody's going to have different days where one day is going to be good or one day is going to be bad and you're going to feel some certain way. However, if you're consistently feeling not like yourself and you're starting to exhibit some of these, um, you know, symptoms that are markedly kind of off and you're losing interest or not, not happy in things that used to make you happy. And you know, that it's not only okay, but you should, you know, go get help. And and that's, that's what, you know, you are there for. Like, that's why, um, we have psychiatrists and that's why we have psychologists and these people who can at least start to sort out what is, you know, a place where your mental health matters and you deserve you like, you know, to be in a better spot for it. Mm-hmm. How, how do you help people try to find somebody to go see? Like if somebody says, Oh my gosh, I have all these symptoms. Nichelle just said, and I've known something was up and I've been, you know, maybe blaming COVID for it, but come on, COVID has been going on for almost two years now. And I'm still feeling this way. And I think I need to get help. Like where, where do you start? Because that feels like a very daunting task. It actually is a very daunting task. Where do you start? Um, If you're established with a primary care provider, they are a great place to start. For the majority of psychiatric medications are prescribed by primary care providers. They are not actually prescribed by psychiatrists. There are so few of us that even if we're prescribing for every patient we see, we still don't overcome how many they are prescribing for. So your primary care provider is a wonderful first start, first step. 
They often have people in their community or in your community that they trust and know well to refer you to. Um, Like I said, there are so few of us that it's kind of difficult to get in sometimes. Um, (laughs) Yes, obviously. I know you're laughing at me. Um, So another way to kind of go around that is to get with a therapist. There are so many different modalities of therapy. There are so many different um, ways to become a therapist that there are a lot of therapists. So um, if you're looking for one in your area, I usually recommend psychologytoday.com. On there, you can filter by so many different things. You can filter by your zip code, um, kind of what you think the problem might be. People specialize in all kinds of different things. Um, You can filter by your insurance. You can filter by the therapist's gender. You can filter by like so many different things. And you may be able to find someone that kind of resonates with you um, there. I always say that finding a good therapist is like dating. You have to find one that works for you, um, that it might not be right on the first try and that's okay. Just not get discouraged by that and not have this one experience that you had with this particular therapist, um, keep you from continuing to try to find one that works for you. Um, so continue to, you know, try different therapists. A lot of times they'll offer like a free 15 minute, 20 minute consultation to like get to know them for them to get to know you a little bit and to make sure that their style kind of matches with you. Um, that's often a really good place to start because it's so personal and you want to have someone who you feel comfortable with and someone that has the same goals as you, or you can come to and say like, you know, that did not work for me. Let's try something else. And you want that level of comfort. So primary care provider, a psychiatrist is great too, if you have one or no one. Um, and a therapist is really a wonderful place to start. Even if you're not feeling bad, I, you can start therapy anytime. And you, you should. Start therapy. Yes, please <laughs> do. I mean, it's so nice to be established with a therapist when things are going, you know, moderately well or really well, or, you know, like only a little, not great. Um, because, then they know you and they know your history. And if you come to them and say like, oh gosh, this terrible thing, they can be like, oh, hey, remember when you totally overcome, you overcame something totally similar? If you establish when things are not at their crisis point, then they can be really helpful if things get to that point. So there's never a wrong time to start therapy. If you're feeling well, you could still do it. And that would be really beneficial for you too. I really think, especially as a side note for like, you know, professional working moms, like you're balancing so many different balls and there's a common thread that you're, you know, not often excelling at all of them at one time, which leads to a lot of like guilt or self-doubt or imposter syndrome and these other things. But I really feel like when you're trying to fill these multiple roles, it's so beneficial to have somebody on your team who's you know, not just your spouse or your colleague or something like that, who's going to be like, oh, you're doing great. But somebody say, that must be hard or here are some strategies or what can we do? And I don't think we ever allow ourselves or we don't, you know, try to encourage other people to go and like you said at the beginning, prioritize your own health. Your Mm -hmm. mental health is, should be like number one as far as your own health. We all think about, okay, I'll go get my pap smear and I'll get my preventive cancer screening and I'll, Mm -hmm. you know, do this other thing. But somebody will sometimes really balk at the idea of going to a therapist or prioritizing their own mental health. And I really think that that is something that we need to put more emphasis on encouraging others, especially Mm -hmm especially, you know, professional women who sometimes are afraid of being seen as weak or not, you know, we have a certain image that feels like you've got to be excelling in all arenas Mm -hmm. to be taken seriously. I think that's Mm -hmm. sometimes a big hurdle for people. It's a huge hurdle, but I really believe that there's so much strength and vulnerability to be able to go to someone and say, I'm struggling with this. That takes a lot of strength. And to say, I'm struggling with this and I want to work on it what more, what's stronger than that? I love that. I I agree completely. I think you are so spot on with that sentiment and trying to say that, 
you know, that really is the strongest thing you can do is go say, I want help working on this versus feeling this, I need to do it all myself mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have, you know, advice or thoughts? And I don't know the answer to this question, but like, if somebody's like, okay, maybe I just want to prioritize my own mental health. I want to work on taking care of myself better besides getting established with a therapist, are there other things that you recommend? Like, can we talk about journaling? Can we talk about your book and your side gig? Like what, what kind of other things do you think you can do to help support your mental health that maybe people don't realize is good for our brain? Okay. So there are so many different options and I just want to give the caveat, like give the little asterisk here to say that not everything is right for everyone. And it takes some trial and error to find what's right for you. Um, exercise is so, 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 so good for your brain. It's also great for your body. Um, that if you're wanting to make very high quality changes for your mental health with like very little time, exercise is going to be one of your first steps. Um, And showing up there imperfectly is totally fine as well. I mean, if you can't do the recommended whatever 200 something minutes or whatever, (laughs) two hours or something, right? Um, Do 10 minutes. It's better than zero minutes. Yeah. Little changes, baby steps. Right. Little changes, baby steps. Um, So exercise is going to be really great. I also just love the idea of mindfulness. It sounds so like hokey and, you know, woo woo to say, to not judge yourself, but just being aware of what's happening in your brain and saying, that's not always reflective of what I actually think, or, um, not calling yourself dumb for having a thought that was, you know, kind of weird or whatever is so nice. Just be compassionate to yourself and, recognize that we don't have to engage with all of our weird thoughts that we have. And we have emotions because we are human and to not get upset with ourselves if we're feeling sad one day or just to not judge yourself. So practicing mindfulness, letting the things come to you as they are and not judging them and just kind of letting them flow through can be really helpful. Um, very quick, brief check-ins with yourself to say, what am I experiencing right now can be so transformative to just set aside one minute in between when you're walking from here to there, or, you know, one minute when you're washing your hands at the sink or wherever it happens to be kind of making that ritual, making, um, that continued effort to check in with yourself and see how you're doing to check in with your knees and listen to those and act on them. If your body is saying, Hey, I need to rest, you rest. If you have the opportunity to do that, um, checking in with yourself, exercise, mindfulness are really great. If you're looking for a more like a tangible thing to do, journaling is really a wonderful place to process and it doesn't involve anyone else. So you can say whatever you want to say and no one else is going to see it. No one else can judge you. Um, you can say how much you hate this, that, or the other person, and you can kind of like get it out, process it, maybe understand why a little bit more, um, without needing another person there to, to talk you through it. Um, it can kind of be like sort of like a pseudo self therapy kind of thing. (laughs) If you're wanting to journal, um, so you mentioned my side gig, which is so fun. And so, I mean, I could talk about it all day. So I partnered up with my friend, Bonnie, who is an artist and an amazing artist at that. And we created a self-discovery workbook for moms. It's called Aluma. Um, we're on Instagram, explore Aluma or explorealuma.com. And basically the idea is that it's designed to fit in your life. It's short activities that bring in art or other creative mediums um, for you to know yourself again as a mom. It's designed for, for moms and we really can lose ourselves there. And this is the opportunity to take very little amount of time to know yourself and just have some quiet and some solitude and it's, it's really wonderful. So it has, um, 
immersive audio and um, it comes with a workbook that you can work through with some already pre-made art in there for you to work off of. It's really great for people who want to journal, but don't really know like where to start. Like you sit down in front of a blank piece of paper and you're like, oh, I don't know what to right, do. Right. It's and, overwhelming. Yeah. It takes away that, that piece of overwhelm and kind of gives you a task. It says, do this, that, or the other, listen to, um, some fundamentals of motherhood that may, if you're experiencing them may have you feeling isolated or alone. And those fundamentals I created out of my experience in my work with moms, um, as kind of what the universals are for us, that some of us have times where we don't like being a mom. I mean, that's universal, but we don't ever talk about it. Or there are, you know, times where we um, feel like we're failing. And that's sort of a universal experience to kind of pull them all together and say, like, here, like, you may feel like you're alone, but these are sort of the fundamentals of, of what we're all experiencing and no one's talking about. So listening to some of those things and just hearing that you're not alone can be really helpful, too. So we pulled it all together and created a workbook with audio and it's, it's beautiful. Awesome. Also it's amazing. By the way, it is, it is it's gorgeous. Just the entire packaging is beautiful and it really is. Um, it's like a, a nice project. Like it feels like a project on yourself without pressure. And as you said, mm-hmm. a way to kind of foray for somebody, especially I think for somebody maybe who the idea of journaling is too much or they don't mm-hmm. know. I, I'm notorious. Like I've had this, I talk about all the time, this document on my computer um, called life planning, which I don't know why I titled it that, but literally it's like my ongoing journal. And, you know, even like after I go to a therapy session, I'll like brain dump in there and just put some of the things we talked about and then process it. And when you go back and you read your own words, it sometimes is very illuminating what maybe was under the surface that you just couldn't Mm -hmm. see because you get so either emotional about it or, or detached from it, right? You can actually mm-hmm. be on both ends of the spectrum. So I really think mm-hmm. that, as you said, there's a lot of power to spending time with your own brain and seeing what is in there. Mm-hmm. Right. And also journaling is really interesting because you can kind of go back and look how far you've come and be like, oh, wow, I really understand that problem so differently now. Or man, look how bad I was feeling that day. And it, it's just a wonderful way to to express yourself and explore all of that. And if you can't do it or feeling overwhelmed when you sit down with a piece of paper, Illuma is a great option. I think we could talk all day and I'm 100% going to have you back on to talk <laughs> like in depth on some of these topics. But the last thing I kind of want to ask you um, as far as like a question wise is that I have patients say to me sometimes, and you kind of briefly mentioned it about you know, maybe turning to behaviors or like substances instead of feeling an emotion, right? Like overeating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or over drinking or smoking a cigarette or like doing something that they know is maybe not self-serving in the long run, but it's helping mm-hmm. them. It's like a coping mechanism or maybe it's instead of coping, this is what they're doing. And yeah. I just don't know if you have thoughts or piece of advice or something to say for people who can identify with, Hey, maybe I am having my glass of wine or two at night instead of dealing with how I'm feeling about a certain circumstance. Mm -hmm. Where, where do you start with that type of self-discovery and overcoming some of those behavior issues that may be rooted out of, um, you know, emotions or depression or anxiety? Mm -hmm. So my first step in this kind of scenario is to slow down, like really slow down. Like even if you have to make yourself walk slower, like you slow down because when you're in this routine, you know, you're done with the work day, you pour yourself a glass of wine and you drink your glass of wine, you have another one and then it turns into more and it's kind of just like on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And if you slow down and think through like, is this serving me? why am I doing this? Does this actually help me feel better? What am I feeling? What would I prefer? What helps me feel good? And, and just to take it slow. If you go to pour a glass of wine, think through, how much of this do I really want? Am I pouring this out of habit? 
and just be slower about all of your actions and thinking through them and seeing if they're working for you or not. If you slow down, you're most likely find that a lot of those things are not working for you. And then the question becomes, what do you replace that behavior with or what can work for you? And you, your possibilities are endless and it's kind of exciting to think through, oh, you know, at the end of the day, maybe I need 10 minutes to go on a walk or, um, you know, my kids and I are going to play baseball in the backyard or, or whatever it happens to be that's actually serving you, actually helping you feel good rather than a substance that makes you more feel more anxious in the morning after you've had a mm-hmm. few drinks or, um, you know, whatever. If you slow down, it will reveal itself. I think that's amazing advice. And I've never really heard anybody frame it that way, but just you're right. We sometimes live these busy lives and we do things either out of habit or out of um, just, I'll just pour this real fast. And now I'm just used to having it, or mm-hmm. I'm going to do this, or I'm just going to order this food because it feels easier than that. I don't know. I think there's a lot of behaviors that sometimes people do and truly without leaning into why they're doing them, or if that's really Mm -hmm. like makes sense for them, like, you know, eating the box of cookies, like that probably isn't really going to make you feel better, but Mm -hmm. it's almost like an impulsive or not even, maybe it's even a subconscious thing. Like you don't really mean to eat the entire box of cookies, but you got started and you didn't slow down to think about it. So I think that that Mm -hmm. advice just to slow down and think about what you're doing and think about, is that really helping you? Like what's really going on or what could serve you better is something that all of us really need to hear. I've seen so many patients who are drinking, I will use drinking as the problem, but drinking so much since COVID started, like way Mm -hmm. more than, Mm -hmm. you know, before. And now they're like, well, it just kind of started at the beginning of the pandemic because we were home and, you know, we'd split a bottle of wine, but here we are you know, a year and a half later and we're having two bottles of wine a night. I'm like, that means each of you is drinking a bottle of wine a night. That can't be Mm -hmm. good for your body, you know, but, Mm -hmm. and then it becomes rooted in habit. So I think that advice to just slow down and be mindful of what you're doing is something that's, you know, actually a lot easier than we kind of think that it is. I Mm -hmm. like that. It doesn't have to be so daunting. We can start one piece at a time and every improvement that you make, whether it be one day or permanent is a win. I love it. You're the best. So promise me you'll come back here. And I'd love it if you would tell people again, where they can find you on the internet and social media. And if they're interested in trying to become a patient, how can they get in touch with you? Okay. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nichelle Haynes. It's Nichelle with an N. Um, <laughs> common How many uh, times have you said a that? A million, a million. Um, okay. Dr. Nichelle Haynes on Instagram. If you are in Texas, we are accepting new patients at my practice. It's Reproductive Psychiatry Clinic of Austin. We are on Instagram at RPC Austin or rpcaustin.com. Um, if you're interested in Aluma, it's explorealuma.com or at explorealuma on Instagram. Um, that's where you can find me. I'm all over the place. I am readily available if you have questions or if there are things that you need. I'm happy if you reach out um, to do whatever I can to be helpful. So that's you, it. You're amazing. And I'm just going to give a last plug that you are speaking at Pinnacle in oh, yes, May. Yes. Of 21, it's or May of 22 in Dallas is going to be so amazing. And we're really excited to have you speak more about, you know, supporting your mental health, especially as a professional woman and just these things that we don't often prioritize. So I'm so thankful to have you here and to share your expertise. And I just adore everything you do. Thank you, Nichelle. Just want to say a huge thanks to all of you for listening. I appreciate your love and support. Currently planning the 2022 season of the As Woman podcast. You are going to be seeing a question box on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, which please go and put your requests in there so I can make sure that we are having guests you are interested in and topics you care about. I thank you so much. You can always go to the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD, for more focused educational fertility related videos. Thank you, friends. <laughs>